we've been looking at the book of Ezekiel. We've been taking this little tour through this very interesting book of Ezekiel and seeing some of the strange things that Ezekiel does and the things that God calls him to do and even that God would show up in such a way to him. And there are times in the book of Ezekiel where God is no longer behind the glass, like in chapter 1 of Ezekiel. Remember that Ezekiel is sitting by this irrigation canal in the refugee by this ditch, and all the glory, the appearance of the, 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 the appearance of the glory of the Lord comes to him. And you're wondering, like, what is God doing in a refugee camp in Babylon? And the answer is this unfolds, we realize that that God can no longer be contained and that he has been, he's been pushed out of his temple in Jerusalem by means of the infidelity. And, um, and of course, before we get judgmental, uh, we realize that we are also in a Babylon of sorts, that we are in a place where we wonder if God's going to show up. And we, we ask that God would and that we would have eyes to see him. And so as we continue our journey in the book of Ezekiel, we're going to be this morning in Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel chapter 14. So whatever you're looking at God's word at this morning, whether it's your Bible or your app or whatever it is, let's open up to Ezekiel chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. You're like, just as long as you don't revisit Ezekiel 16. So if you were a visitor last week on Ezekiel 16, which is like one of the most gritty and, and I mean, just a hard passage, right? But today, it's like, it's just idolatry today. So, um, you know, not, just light, a little light Bible reading for us today. So Ezekiel chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. And once you find that, let's all stand together in honor of God and his word as I read this out loud for us this morning. Ezekiel 14. Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore, speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet... I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols, that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, who are all estranged from me through their idols. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, repent and turn away from your idols. Turn away your faces from your abominations. For any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who separates himself from me, taking his idols into his heart and putting the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to me, yet comes to a prophet to consult me through him, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. And I will set my face against that man, and I will make him a sign and a byword and cut him off from the midst of my people. And you shall know that I am the Lord." This is God's word. Amen and amen. You may take a seat. Yeah, this, uh, sometimes we read passages and we're like, amen, amen. And sometimes we read passages and we're like, okay. Like, you know, okay, amen, amen. Like, oh, what, what does God have for us this morning? And why, wh- you know, what is past- pastor's been angry the last, you know, as he's been preaching through his... I'm not angry. I'm not an angry person. I mean, maybe I am a little bit angry. I do have a, a shirt that says, um, it came from a family vacation, but um, we have these shirts, and Kelly made these shirts. Um, they say, Dad's mad. And I don't know if anybody can relate to that, but sometimes dads, like, they hold the anger for the family, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. But, uh, you know, Ezekiel had a very difficult job. And the more and more that I come to this book, the more I realize um, just how fatiguing it can be to be the bearer of bad news. And Ezekiel is the bearer of bad news. For 24 chapters, he is the bearer of bad news. And what we're going to find is that we have one more, we have one, we have today, we have one more week, and then we see a turn. And next week, we'll talk about the turn 
from bad news to good news. And then we get to look at what is the good news according to Ezekiel? What is the gospel according to Ezekiel? But before we get to good news, we, we have to finish with bad news. And Ezekiel um, has, has circled us back around. He talked about idols in chapter 6, chapter 8 through 11. He goes to the temple. He's brought in a vision to the temple, and he sees idols everywhere. And again, in chapter 14, we have idols once again. And this morning, I want to make a few comments about our passage and about what Ezekiel was saying back then. And I also want to take some time to reflect on the nature of our society in which we live and the nature of idolatry as we encounter it today. So again, a little light sermon. Welcome all visitors uh, to, to Taft Avenue. Uh, but anyway, let's, let's open this up and let's kind of walk through this. So 14.1, certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. So Ezekiel's ministry as a prophet, again, Ezekiel was a priest. He trained to be a priest his whole life, and then he was taken in exile into Babylon. The Babylonians came, they conquered Jerusalem. Three waves of exiles come. Daniel comes in the first wave. Jeremiah is part of that early, uh, that early wave. And then Ezekiel comes in the second wave. And so Ezekiel is at the very bottom of the story of Israel. And we don't get to choose where we're born, where we're put into the story, but Ezekiel was at the very bottom. He's the last prophet to proclaim judgment but he's also the first prophet to proclaim hope. He is actually at the very bottom. And Ezekiel's ministry is such that he does a lot of strange things. You remember? Like he lays on his side and he like makes a scale model of Jerusalem. And he's like, poop, you know, like doing all these things and all these kind of sign acts in the middle of the street. But Ezekiel's ministry is not one where he's wandering through the land. His, his ministry is in this refugee camp. And he, at his house is where people are coming, that people from the, that are part of this refugee group are coming to his house to hear from the Lord. And they're coming, I don't know why, and evidently there were other false prophets that were saying, peace, peace, but Ezekiel's like, there is no peace. And so you have in this, in this, in this camp, Ezekiel, and he's there, and it says here that there are leaders in this community that because they know that Ezekiel is a prophet, they've come to him, they've come to sit whether it's in his courtyard, his living room, whatever it is in this refugee camp, they were seeking out the prophet. And what we find out is that they're seeking after God, but they're probably, in the midst of all this judgment, people are looking for good news, and Ezekiel doesn't have any good news for them. They've been brought, they've been brought out of, in, into exile, and it's not because, and they have this thing, they have this thing, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth have been set on edge. This idea that we're only here because our fathers have done wrong, right? We're only here, it's not our fault, it's not our fault. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and our teeth are getting set on edge, and Ezekiel says, no. And so this idea that they are coming to hear the prophet, they're doing things that are right on the outside, but on the inside what we're going to find is that there, is, there are problems. There are problems and God still has something to say to them. Verse 2, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, these men, they've taken their idols into their hearts. And they set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Now, we looked in chapter 8, God picks Ezekiel up and gives him this vision of the temple. He goes in the back door, he goes through this wall, hole in the wall, and as he walks through, he looks around and there's, in the temple of Yahweh, there's all these idols and idolatrous uh, uh, ceremonies going on. There's, there's, a, there's a Babylonian god. People are turning their back on Yahweh and worshiping the sun. There's all these things that are happening, and they're all out there. They're all out in the open. And what we see, and, and part of us, we're, we're like, we'll talk about this, but like when we think about idolatry, we think of all these external, these bowing down before like a, a figurine or an idol or some idolatrous pagan ceremony. But look at what God says about these people who've come to see Ezekiel, to hear a word from the Lord, he says, these men have, they're not doing this externally. They're, they're doing all the right things externally, right? They've come to the prophet to hear from the Lord. 
But the Lord says, hey, Ezekiel, these people, they have idols. They have idols, but you can't see them. Because they've taken their idols, and they're not on their mantles. They're not at a shrine. You can't see their idols. They've taken them into their hearts. They have invisible idols. They've taken them into their hearts. And this phrase, they set, they've taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. So they've got these, these idols, and the, the idols, they're, they're not out in the open anymore. They're not, it's not like the temple in Jerusalem where they've just brought in all these idols. They, they, these people have taken them into their hearts, and what God says is they've, by taking them into their hearts, they have placed a stumbling block before their faces. And this word stumbling block is, is an interesting, it's a, it's a metaphor, obviously, right? That you have, you could put things in the path, on a regular path, that would, uh, that would make it hard for people to walk on it. As a matter of fact, this word, and even the word in Greek, the word scandalon, we, we hear about stumbling blocks in the New Testament. And, and armies, what they would do if, in mountain passes where an, an army would have to go through, you would have, if you wanted to protect your land, you would like put all these stumbling blocks, these big boulders and things up in the pass so that it would make it easier to defend. It would make it harder to get through. It would make it almost impossible to get through. And what God says is, these people have put stumbling blocks in the path to my favor. In their hearts, they put a stumbling block. The path between them and me, they have put stumbling blocks. They've collapsed boulders into this area because they've taken these idols into their hearts. They've placed a stumbling block between themselves and me. That is going to make it difficult to, to get through this path. So in, in this idea, like, they have come, they've come to say, we want to hear from the Lord, we want to hear from the Lord, but at the same time, they're saying, we want to hear from the Lord, boulder. We want to hear from the Lord, like, battering ram. Like, they're just putting stuff, they're just, they're, they're just dumping stuff between themselves and the Lord. Even though they're saying all the right things, they have made it, Difficult or impossible for God to work in their direction. They've put stumbling blocks before their faces. Their idols have gotten in the way. As a matter of fact, in verse 5, look at verse 5. How is this, how is this described? It says, they who are all estranged from me through their idols. They've been estranged. There's been some kind of barrier between the people and God because they have taken their idols into their heart and they set the stumbling block of iniquity before their faces. As a matter of fact, that phrase, sometimes when we read a passage, one of the great things in Bible study you can do is if there's something that, is, that occurs over and over and over again, that we might know that that's an important phrase. And we've, if you heard this passage as I was reading it out loud, you might have heard this phrase three times, who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face. Three times in eight verses, that long phrase occurs. It's key in this passage. And so what I want to do today is I want to, I want to do, a, we talked about idols a few weeks ago in, in Ezekiel chapter 6. This is, so this is idols uh, part two or, um, or the return of the idol or something like that. However, idols again so another sermon about idols, but I want to kind of drill down a little bit. Last time we talked about idols, um, we noted that idols in our culture today, like you read the Bible, you're like, yeah, idols. But in our culture today, it's kind of an archaic word. Like unless you're watching American Idol, but that's idol, that's a good thing, right? You want to win American Idol, I guess. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, you know, I don't think there's any possibility of me winning that um, for a number of reasons, okay? Um, notwithstanding my voice. So um, anyway, I'll sing later, I suppose. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. That's why we, when, I, when we have, that's why I'm turned off when they sing up here. All right. If somebody said amen, okay, I heard that amen. All right. Rough crowd. But um, we talked about this idea of, an, of, a, um, of idols being, an ar- idolatry being kind of an archaic word. In our culture, we don't really say, oh, that's idolatry. 
We live in a pluralistic society, right? Where, like, where there's freedom, there's freedom of worship. And so it, it's baked into the Constitution. And so we live in a land where you're, you're supposed to not, there's this idea that you're an idolater. That, that's old school language. That's King James language. That's not 21st century language. And so in some ways, it's, it's difficult for us to imagine that, um, you know, that we, we, don't, we don't have figurines that we bow down to. As, although I, I will say this, here's a little self-report. I was just in Turkey, um, and I was visiting sites of all the churches, and, um, and when you go to the seven churches of Revelation, and one of those is Ephesus, where the book of Ephesians is written, and in Acts chapter 17, um, there's great as Artemis of the, actually, actually, Acts chapter 19, I, I'm sorry, uh, great as Artemis of the Ephesians, and I, we were able to go into the, the museum and see this statue of Artemis. Like, and it's probably about a, a t- little taller than me, like over six feet tall, and it's kind of this weird Artemis. It's very exotic and all that. But, um, b- I, but, um, but I, I in, so self-report, okay? I'm not an idolater, but I did buy a small little scale model of Artemis. It's up on my shelf. Like, it's weird. I just, it was one of those things, like as a New Testament scholar, I know, you're like, idolater! Like, I'm not bowing down in front of the idol, right? I'm, I'm preaching against I, idolatry, but I guess that's no, still no check on whether or not I've had it in my heart. Okay, enough of my self-report. I'm just going to keep going with this. Um, if you want to see it, it's in my office. I'll show it to you. Just full, uh, full disclosure here. I want to make sure that everybody understands. But we don't live in a world where we have like, oh, I'm going to buy this little thing, and I'm going to put it in this little alcove in my house, and every morning I'm going to get up and I'm going to bow down to it. Like, we don't live in a world like that necessarily, okay? And so for us to understand, like, what does it mean to have an idol or to be an idolater? You know, we're, and even this idea, like, hey, we come, we come here to worship Jesus. I'm not an idolater. I come here, look, I want to I focus my life on Jesus. I want to, as a church, we come to worship Jesus. We have good theology. We have this building. All of our symbols point us to God. We've got a cross. We've got all these things. No idols here. Ezekiel is doing something beyond simply, you've got a clay statue in your house here. He's, got, he's going beyond this idea that you have visible idols. For Ezekiel, God is saying, look, these people are doing all the right things, but they have set a place in their hearts for an idol. These men have taken their idols into their hearts. He's not pointing to a statue, a ceremony, a physical posture in front of a physical thing. He's talking about these idols. These idols are not what we think. They are set up in our hearts, not in shrines. And because of that, there is a bit of a subtle and insidious nature to idols and idolatry. And no matter what world you live in, whatever, whatever place you live in, whatever country you live in, there are various sensibilities that tend to get in there. And we talked about this idea uh, it, when we talked about Ezekiel chapter 6, that how do we define an idol? Uh, an idols, idols are essentially functional saviors. Places that you go to to receive some kind of help or salvation. So this idea that um, and we, we noted that um, idols tend to be uh, around one of three things, whether it's your significance, that you might go to a certain place to know that you are a significant, important, worthy person. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's someone around you. There's, there's something that you might lean on that, you, that tells you, yes, I am a significant person. I'm a worthy person. Career. Your role, maybe at home or at, the, at job, talent, ability. Maybe it's some kind of impact or significance that you have, some kind of marker that I know that I'm doing well. I have this many followers on Instagram. I, I make this sort of salary, right? I have some kind of marker of my significance. That might be some kind of idol that's set up in a heart. We also, significance is one, security is another. That functional savior, security, how do you know that you're going to be okay physically 
How do you know that? And you might have ideas, like there probably something came to your mind immediately. Well, I have a house. I have health insurance. I have a job. I have a good community around me. Somewhere in there is Jesus, right? Somewhere in there. But this idea that idols tend to be these functional saviors around either significance or security. Or maybe it's like, I have a gun. Tools of warfare. I know that. I know those things. I know self-defense. Whatever it is. What is a functional savior? Significance, security, satisfaction. How, how do you satisfy yourself? Idols are built around these three things. How do you know that you're significant? How do you know you're secure? And how, how is it that you satisfy yourself, your standard of living, food and drink, sex, entertainment? What do you do for pleasure? And so when we talk about idols and idolatry, we're not setting up something like, look, in the, in the ancient world, if you needed a good crop, if you needed a good harvest, right, you would go to, you would maybe go to the god of fertility, right? And you would then offer a sacrifice to the god of fertility. We don't operate that way necessarily. Maybe there's other things that you go to that for this idea of security, significance, satisfaction. All right. Now, hang on, because I, I want to make sure that we understand there. It, God has created a lot of good things, and I want to make sure that we understand, like, is it, is it a sin to have a good job? Like, is it a sin? Is it a sin, like, to look at, to have health insurance? Like, are these things that are, and I want to make it clear that these are things that, that we're, we're going to see, there are things that God has given to us, and we're going to talk about the relationship. How can something become an idol? These are not de facto idols, but this is the, the growing ground, the field in which idols are grown. Okay, so hang on one second. Um, but I want to, I wanna, before, you know, before you're like, look, Pastor Craig, way back then, obviously, these people, they were, they, they, they heard the Babylonian army was coming, like the Babylonian war machine was coming. And yeah, they reached out. They reached out to all the power that they could find. They found the Egyptians and they said, do a treaty with us. They, they like prayed to all the gods they could because they knew, look, they needed functional saviors. And it was wrong. They should have relied on Yahweh, but they reached out to all these, all these places. And yeah, in those last days of the nation of Israel in the land, it was bad. It was horrible. But the thing is, according to Ezekiel, this was not simply a problem in the last days before the, before the Babylonians got there. Do you remember when Ezekiel... He's doing his like, synax, right, where he sets up the, the pan in front of the, the city, and he builds a scale model, and then he lays on his side. How long is Ezekiel supposed to lay on his side? Does anybody remember? 390 days. See, we got a lot of good Bible study in this church. 390 days. One day for every year of disobedience. And then tack on that another 40 days. 430 days. One day for every year of disobedience. Okay, wait. Now, if you do that math, and you go back 430 years from the day of, of Ezekiel, and you go back, you're basically around the time of the construction of the temple. Like the reign of Solomon. Like, well, wait, 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 wait. Look, I get it. I get it. The Babylonians are coming. You're reaching out to all these idols. You're trying for functional saviors. And look, I don't want to blame you, but that's a bad idea. But look, this is, Ezekiel says, look, this is not just a recent thing. This goes back even to the time of David and Solomon, the, like the high points. Like this is supposed to be the, the great time, the, the, good, the time where we built this temple for the Lord. And I think if Ezekiel were, was alive, he'd say, did you really build it for the Lord? Or maybe perhaps you simply built a monument to yourselves. Like this is one of the things about the prophets is the prophets, they look back on times that maybe we thought these were the great times and he looks back and say, were they really? Were these really the good old days? 
Because I remember that Solomon, he took a bunch of wives, and people came in from other countries, but when they came in from other countries to pay tribute, they also brought their other gods with them. And what did you guys do? Oh, yeah, well, pay tribute to us. Like, pay tribute to the God of Israel and us while we're here, right? Like, there's this idea that even in all of this, there is this insidious, subtle work of idolatry even as they're building a building for God. And Ezekiel is saying, look, it's not just in the shrines. It's in your hearts. You might be doing all the right things, but it doesn't mean that you have something that is taking you away from God. It's a weird thing that even our service to God can sometimes be a stumbling block towards God. That even the things we're doing for God can sometimes be the things that are separating us from Him. As, as someone who is, I have a number of theological degrees, and I can say this, not every day of my theological training has been one that moves me closer to the Lord. Simply doing the right things does not mean that there is not some kind of insidious thing that's going on. And I, I suppose, let's think of it this way. Um, in the book of Philippians, it talks about we are citizens of heaven, okay? You, you believe in Jesus. And because you believe in Jesus, it says you are citizens of heaven. Your name is written enrolled, enrolled in heaven, you are a heavenly citizen. That's your home. Now, here's the thing. You've never been there. I've never been there. I'm a citizen of a place I've never been. But I know, I know by looking at Jesus that there are certain ways and sensibilities of living, right, that I want to I bring into myself and I want to live into that, that side of kind of compassion, that kind of truth, that kind of grace, that kind of love. I want that. Like, that's what a citizen of heaven looks like, right? And that's what I want to be like. But we don't live in heaven, do we? Like, let's say you wanted to be a citizen of heaven and you moved to Brazil, of all places. Okay, just Brazil. I don't know why that, that just came to my mind, Brazil. There, are, there would be certain things about being a Brazilian that might line up with being a citizen of heaven, and there might be things about being a Brazilian that impede being a citizen of heaven, right? There are certain things in culture that might move you closer to God, and there are certain things in culture that might move you away from God, and that might be the same. Like, let's say you move to, like, France, and you were a citizen of heaven, there might be certain things about being French that, that encourage you towards God, and there might be certain things about being French that, that move you away from God. You can put that in any country. What about being in the United States? What about being an American citizen? There are certain things about being an American citizen that, in, that move, may, might move us closer, that might encourage us, to be citizens of heaven, and there might be things about being a citizen of the United States of America that move us away from being a citizen of heaven. Whatever, wherever you go, that's the nature of being a citizen of heaven. These people, they were no longer in Israel, and they're in Babylon. They're like, how do we live as, how do we keep our identity as citizens of this land living in Babylon, being in exile. So one way to think about, one way to think about it is that we are, we're a colony, we're a colony of heaven, our homeland is heaven, and we're a colony here. There's another way of thinking about it, that we're in exile, that we're in a foreign land. And the, the question is, what about our land, what about our place, our culture that, in, that helps us, that moves us to God, and what are the things about our culture today that, do, that are stumbling blocks that prevent us from getting towards God? And if we, if we think about it in this way, I think this is, the, this is the framework that Ezekiel is running into here in this book. What is idolatry? What are the stumbling blocks that he needs to address that people have set up in their hearts. 
What are the stumbling blocks? So the, the idolatry didn't just begin at the end. It began back in the good times. And Ezekiel is saying, this is more than just a statue. It's more than just bowing down. It's more than just exotic ceremonies. This is about where do you go when you want to know who you are, when you want to know that you're going to be okay, and when you want to feel good. Where do you go? And as Americans, because we, we live in the United States of America, there are certain answers to those questions, right? And the question that we have to ask is, are those answers moving us toward God or are they moving us away from God? Because we are exiles here in a foreign land. I suppose maybe the first thing to ask is, does it feel like a foreign land? Like how does a fish know they're swimming in water because that's their natural environment? Like they don't know what water is because they're surrounded by it. I think for me this week is I'm, look, I, I was, we, when we get together and we pray for the service, we share kind of what's going on, and I was like, we share our numbers, like, how are you doing? Like, what's your energy level? How are you feeling this morning? And, you know, uh, Dave Wall's always a 10, so he's our, he's our model. Uh, he's always up there. But, like, it, it, it goes up and down. Like, we have you know, harder weeks. And I, 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 doing this passage this week, I'm like, I was thinking about our culture. I'm like, man, I feel like, I, the, the more I was reflecting on it, the more I was like, I feel like I'm swimming in an ocean of idolatry. Maybe, Let's put it this way. I feel like in our culture today, I am swimming in an ocean of distraction. It's not, if it was straight up idolatry, it would be, it would, like this is the subtlety of it. It's so subtle that we don't even know we're swimming in it. I was just thinking about how much, how much is, like here, Ezekiel says, God says to Ezekiel, they have set a stumbling block before their eyes. And I'm thinking like, how many things, are these things taking me to God or are they, or are they putting a stumbling block between me and God? Like how many things are actually moving me toward God? I know there's plenty of things if I watch the news that's moving me towards anger. I know that if I look at advertising that's moving me towards wanting more stuff. Right? Like, It feels like an ocean of distraction that can easily turn into idolatry. So here's the question. What do we do? What do we do? I think our passage has something to say to us, but I, I, one thing, one thing we, we can say, one thing maybe if you're like me, this is the impulse, like... It's time to clean out the garage. It's time to clean out the closet. Everything that is not leading me to the Lord, I got to get rid of. I got to get, get it out. Now, that's not a bad impulse. I like that idea. I like that impulse. The problem is, that's not the way that God created the world. Let me see if I can explain. Okay. And for this, I'm going to borrow from Ignatius of Loyola. Okay. Great theologian, spiritual, spirituality. Um, and what, what he says is this. Here's the first principle from um, St. Ignatius. He says... The human person is created to enjoy and serve God, okay? Your job, you were created to enjoy God and to serve God. That's why you were created. That's why every person on the face of this planet was created, to enjoy God and to serve God. And what God then does in, his, in this world, that's what you've been created for. So God says, I'm going to give you 10,000 gifts, that are going to allow you to enjoy me and serve me. I'm going to create a bunch of awesome stuff. I'm going to create truth. I'm going to create beauty. I'm going to create goodness. I'm going to create just a truck ton of awesome stuff for you because you were meant to enjoy me and to serve me, and you need some things to be able to do that. So I'm going to give you great land. I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you plants and animals. There's going to be all kinds of great stuff. I'm going to give you beauty. There's going to be places on this earth that are absolutely awe-inspiring. And you're going to go there. It's going to be fantastic. And when you go there, you're going to think of me. And the idea is, it's these created things that are at issue when it comes to idolatry. 
all these things have been created by God. And it follows that one must use these created things insofar as they help you get to your goal of enjoying and serving God. And if there are things that do not help you enjoy God and serve God, those are, that's not your purpose. If there are things that, that don't do that, then you've got to figure out how to get rid of those things or have a different mindset about those things. The problem is, every so often, you get one thing that can either do both of those things. There, there are things that we have in our lives that can either move us toward God or they can move us away from God, and the difference is not in the thing. The difference is what position it has in our heart. The same created thing can be both a blessing to lead you to God and at the same time an idolatrous stumbling block if used in the wrong way. Listen to what A.W. Tozer says about this. He says, before the Lord God made man upon the earth, he first prepared for him a world of useful and pleasant things for his sustenance and delight. They were made for man's use, but they were always meant to remain external to the man and subservient to the man. In the deep heart of the man was a shrine where none but God was worthy to come. Within him, God dwelt Without, there were a thousand gifts which God had showered upon him. And our woes began when God was forced out of his central shrine and things were allowed to enter in his place. Within the human heart, things have taken over. People have now, by nature, no peace within their hearts for God is crowned there no longer. God's gifts now take the place of God. And the whole course of nature is upset by the monstrous substitution. So this question, as we enter into this and we reflect, and really, this, this, hopefully this, this sermon, this passage is just a, a jumping off point, especially as we get into the holidays, where we, we, we give thanks to God and where we purchase a lot of things for people we love, like, right? I, I hope you're going to do that, you know, maybe. If not, I'll, we'll do marriage counseling later. Um, but the idea is, as we enter into this season, to ask the question, what place do things have? What place do things have? What do we do with a thousand gifts which God has showered on us? And what do we do when these begin to force God off his central throne? The way uh, Ignatius uh, puts it is he says, look, Everything on this earth that is good, everything on this earth that is good, you can either have an ordered attachment to it or a disordered attachment to it. It is in this idea that there's either some, it either moves you, that thing, that good thing that God created, it can either move you towards God or it can take the spot of God. It can either, you can have an ordered attraction to it which means that it's going to move you towards God, or you can have a disordered attraction to it, attachment to it, and that's going to move you away from God. And the fundamental question, the fundamental question that you have to ask about all the good gifts that God has given in your life and in my life, the fundamental question that we have to ask is, is that thing moving me toward God, or is it moving me away from God? It's the fundamental question. It's the fundamental question of idolatry. I think everything in our lives can either be a window so that we can see God more clearly or it can be a stumbling block that keeps me away. And the hard thing is that the same thing can do both. I think maybe the best example, I didn't even bring mine up because I have a, I'm having a bad relationship with my phone right now. It's not because it's not working. It's because it's too good. There's too much stuff. There's too much stuff. Thank you, Gene. I appreciate that. Like, turn off the notifications. Every, it's just so much stuff. I was, like, trying to s- clean out the garage. Like, Kelly's out of town. Clean out the garage. Putting things on offer up, right? And my phone is just, like, going, bam, bam, bam. Like, gah! And then, like, social media, I'm like, I feel like I'm bombarding myself. I'm like, I do not need to know all these things. 
But at the same time, Kelly's in Nashville. We can, can, we can communicate. I can communicate with my kids. I can communicate with friends. I got, a, I got a phone call from a friend that I hadn't seen since junior high. We went out for lunch yesterday. It was awesome. So good. One of the, main, one of the key reasons why I heard the gospel when I was a, young, when I was a teenager great time with like there's so much good that can come out of that but there's so much bad that can come out of that one stupid little device we have a world of idolatry in our pocket and maybe it'll maybe it'll good maybe you can you use it primarily for productivity but maybe your productivity is an idol too like if you're like me getting things done is a little bit of an idol like, I take a lot of pride in it, right? Like, it's something that I, it, it, I find identity in that. Like, I, I've got to find a way to strip this stuff down, and I've got all this stuff around me. I've got my cable TV. i got my YouTube TV. Actually, we don't have cable. We just have, we, we stream now, okay? We're early adopters. Thank you very much. I'm just, I, like, again, the pride and all. Like, you have all of this, all of these things. God, and God did not create iPhones um, but people did, and God gave people those gifts. So God, will, God does a number of these. God creates nature and natural resources, and these things can move us towards God, ordered, or they can get in our way. They can move us away from God, disordered. God created truth. Truth is awesome. Truth can move us toward God, ordered. Or we can use truth to bludgeon people over the head. We can use truth without love. Truth is a good thing, but used in the wrong way, it is an idol. If all you want to be is right in every conversation you have, you are an idolater. And I say that to myself. <laughs> right? Like, this, this, is why this, this is why this passage is so difficult because it reminds me how much of the other things, not just one thing, of so many things have gone in and are pushing God away, off the throne. These men, Ezekiel, have set up idols in their hearts. And these idols have become a stumbling block. And here they come, they want to talk to me. They want to hear from me. While they set up these stumbling blocks, And again, I want us to understand, like we live in an age where, where Jesus has paid the price. Jesus has made a way. Jesus has come in and he's taken all those stumbling blocks out of the way. But we still live in a world, like we said, we were saying Jesus has no rivals and he has no rivals. There's no one who can compete with Jesus. But here on earth, he has a thousand rivals in your heart right now, in your phone right now, in your house right now. There are a thousand rivals, a thousand rivals. And they're quiet and subtle. And it takes us to say, look, I got to step back. And I got to say, Lord, is this thing more important to me than you are? How do I know that I have significance? I can look at my job. I can look at my family. Or I can look at the fact that at my worst, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for the ungodly. In my worst moment, you chose to communicate how important I am. I can find my significance in a thousand things. But if I don't go back, if I don't go back to that moment, and I don't put that, and I don't just set that up in my memory, in my mind, and set my mind on it, then I'm going to look for my significance everywhere. If I can't find my satisfaction in Jesus, then I'm going to look for satisfaction everywhere. Netflix, pornography, whatever it is, you're going to look for satisfaction in all the wrong places. Jesus can satisfy. things in your life, are they a window to God or are they a stumbling block? 
what's the call? How do, how do we do this? How do we do this? We, there's reflection, obviously, but basically, Ezekiel 14.6, we've talked about this word before, Ezekiel 14.6, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, turn, turn, turn. Three times in the same verse, you might have it translated differently, it says repent, turn away, turn away. You guys see that? 14.6, therefore say to the house of the Lord, thus says the Lord, repent, turn away from your idols, turn away your faces from all your abomination. It's the same verb, it's the same verb in Hebrew. Turn. The word repent is the word to turn. We've talked about this in here. I think it's, it's one, for me, and I will, I'll, I'll preach this, this might be my, the, the, the one thing I preach for the rest of my life, and it's this. We orient towards God. The, the fundamental question in my life, the fundamental in your, question in your life is, do you have a life that is directed at God? Idolatry is turning away from God. It's looking away. Like, if God is there, this is idolatry. This is idolatry. Even one degree off is idolatry. And so the call is, if you're facing this way, the call is to turn and reorient. Return. Turn away from your idol, return to God. Orient. This is something, look, re, and the, the, fa- the King Jamesy word is repent. And all I, all I want to say, the way I would say it for us today is, look, every morning when you wake up, reorient. Look, I need to do it every morning, especially after doing all the prep this week. I just realized this week how distracted I am and how maybe without routine, I can just get up and the, immediately get into all the distractions of the day. I think the first thing that we do, well, obviously, this calls for reflection. It calls for reflection, but practically speaking, I think one of the best things we can do is every morning is just to get up. I think... Um, uh, Romans 12.1 um, is, is a great, that in view of God's mercies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and pleasing to God. You're laying on your bed, you're on an altar, right? Just to get up and say, in view of God's mercies, I'm going to present my body as a living sacrifice today. Holy and pleasing to God. All right, now I can, now I can get up and start, now I can deal with distractions because I've already said, okay. And maybe all through the day, you've got to say, no. I'm going to present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. I'm going to renew my mind. Like, whatever it is, like, whatever, whatever your call is, whatever you feel like you're being pulled away, whatever's a stumbling block, just to have something that will bring you back to true north, to reorient throughout the day. Because we live in a world of 10,000 distractions that will easily move us away. And this is the nature. Look, you might say, those, those horrible idolaters. Look, this is, the, this is human nature. You read Romans chapter 1? Romans chapter 1, like the way after the fall, we are, we are kind of, we're, we're, we're bent towards taking the creation and worshiping the creation rather than the creator. We're bent that way. And what we would say is, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And we don't have to, we don't have to, beat ourselves up because we're idolaters. We, we're, we're bent towards idolatry. What we want to do is we want to turn, and we want to simply say, God, I'm going to turn. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn toward you. I'm going to turn away from these distractions. I'm going to turn toward you. And because there are 10,000 gifts of God, it means that there are 10,000 ways that maybe you could either be moved toward God or you can be moved away. And I don't, know, I don't know what it is for you. I don't know if it's family. Is that the most important thing? I don't know if it's your job. I don't know if it's your, your influence or your power. Your security. Your success. I don't know what it is. But look, th- those are the stock ones, everybody. Like, I, look around. Like, watch. If you want to know what idolatry looks like, Watch the commercials today at the football games. That's idolatry. All of that, all of that is in service of idolatry. Okay? All of those things might be good. They might be bad. Are they a window to help you to see God better or are they a stumbling block? But you want to know what our culture values? Watch football games and watch the commercials. And ask yourself, are there any of these that have caught me? 
I remember um, when I was younger, I used to watch, you know, sports on TV. I'm like, these commercials are stupid. Like, they're dumb. They're dumb. And all of a sudden, I woke up one day. I'm like, oh, yeah, I want that. And it was like, <laughs> it was like I got into the sweet spot of the marketers, right? I got into a life stage where now the commercials didn't seem strange to me. They were like, oh, yeah, I want that. Have you guys ever experienced that? Like, you're like, if, if there's something that you don't want, you, like, make fun of that commercial. But there's other people who are like, like, I need that. Because it, we're all at a different spot. And there's competition everywhere for who will sit on the throne. Our call is to say, Jesus, this seat is reserved for you and you alone. You have no rivals. You have no equals. I will reserve the space for you. And we want to be a church that encourages that in the best way to call out if we have a disordered attraction or a disordered um, attachment and to say, look, we just want, we want to help to return. So let's pray. Father, we come this morning uh, challenged, <laughs> to say the least, We have devices that are capable of such good and that can be conduits of such idolatry. I know that's, it's a word that we, we don't use that often, Father, and maybe we need to, to keep it a little bit more front and center. Maybe we need to be thinking that um, there are not just distractions in our world. There are temptations towards taking you off the throne. So, Father, I pray, I pray for our congregation. I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts. We don't want to set up idols in our hearts. We want to open the eyes of our hearts, that we might see more and more of you, that we might see the good gifts that you've given to us, and that we might reorient those in their proper place. We could have them or not have them. What we really need is you, Father. So we love you. We bring these things to you today. All of our failures, all of our distractions, and we ask that you would order them in a way that is honoring to you. We pray in Jesus' name.